Hello, welcome. My name is Arabella Thais, and this is the Sacred Wisdom Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the evolution of planetary consciousness and the exploration of cosmology, philosophy, meaning, and truth. Sit back, enjoy the ride as my guests and I present cutting-edge information that shatters the mainstream paradigm and dances at the very frontiers of human understanding. I'm so glad that you're here. Today on the show, I have with me Ren Butler. Ren is an amazing archetypal astrologer who studied with Stanislav Grof and Richard Tarnas at the Esalen Institute in California beginning in 1980 and certifying as a holotropic breathwork facilitator in 1989, recently recertifying in Grof breathwork in 2023. Ren offers private consultations with clients around the world I can testify to how amazing Ren is as I received a personal session with him uh, earlier this year. It was just so incredible, illuminating, empowering, incisive, insightful. I could not recommend him more. So for those of you interested in astrology, I highly recommend that you reach out to him about doing that super high level. Ren's first book, Pathways to Wholeness, is about astrology and psychedelic experiences, published in 2014, followed by The Archetypal Universe in 2018, which focuses on dreams. His seven-month online course in archetypal and holotropic astrology, starting really soon, I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes, I think it starts September 30th. Ren received his PhD in archetypal astrology and transpersonal psychology from Ubiquiti University in 2022 and has also worked part-time as a health and care worker with physically, mentally and emotionally challenged adults. I'm going to link all um, courses that Ren offers and all his info in the show notes so I do encourage you to check that out and without further ado it is my great, great pleasure to hand over to Ren Butler. So, Ren, how are you? So good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for this opportunity. Basically, I wanted to focus on archetypal astrology, but first, I want the listeners to know a little bit about you and what your vibe is and, you know, um, your career, how you came to be doing what you're doing, your interest in Sonners of Groff and his work. Um, in astrology, I know because I've looked at your bio and your website that you were in Esalen in your more formative years. Yes, yes, I was. Yeah, I was lucky. I got to go down there. Well, I first went in in um, 1974. My mother was living there, was working at at the Esalen office as a work scholar, <clears throat> and um, and then I went back in '78. Uh, and then I went in late 79 and got to be there for uh, a year and went back a few other times. So I consider it my alma mater and alma pater as well. Okay. And I got to have a lot of deep and rich conversations with Rick Tarnas. He was incredibly generous with his time. He was so inspired and enthusiastic about astrology. He was just on fire. And uh, that had a 
major encouraging effect on me. <clears throat> and he encouraged me to do the Groff month long that I, I was able to be in one with Santa Christina Groff in the uh, fall of 1980. What did you do with them? Uh, well, we did some breathwork sessions and there were a lot of visiting professionals, uh, Cecil Burney, a Jungian analyst who did sand play, and Angeles Arian was there, the Basque mystic and tarot uh, person, and uh, uh, Fritjof Capra was there mm. for sessions. It was a incredibly rich and wow. sumptuous feast of new paradigm ideas. Yeah. Mm. And can you just explain for those who aren't aware, uh, of Groff, who is he and what is holotropic breathwork? Because not a lot of people, certainly in the mainstream, not a lot of people are familiar with him. Right. Well, he's considered the foremost expert in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. He's probably had more experience than anyone else alive. Mm. He he was working as a Freudian-trained psychiatrist in Prague when they received vials of uh, pure LSD from Sandoz in about 1955-56 and he eagerly signed up for one of the early training programs and his first session changed his life and he's devoted his life to psychedelic assisted therapy mm. he conducted over 4,000 high dose sessions with voluntary uh, program with patients yeah. and and then after the administrative measures against legal psychedelic therapy came down in the late 60s and early 70s, he and his partner, Christina Groff, developed holotropic breathwork, which is a non-drug substitute for his psychedelic work with deep and rapid breathing, evocative music. They've now renamed it Groff Breathwork. Okay, why? They, they have created a new training program, Groff Legacy Training, to train people in the way that that they think it should be taught the way that okay. Stan wants it to be taught. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I so liked, sorry. Yeah, just gonna, I was just going to say, I liked holotropic because it means <clears throat> path, path to wholeness. Holos yeah. meaning whole and tropic, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I liked that. I liked that. It, well, it's still a word. They just republished book holotropic breathwork and okay. they, they still call it holotropic breathwork. So they're, we're using using okay. the term in small letters to describe the generic. But the 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 name with capital letters and a trademark is belongs uh, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. off transpersonal training. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so <laughs> many there's so many breathworks out there at the moment, and so many methodologies sort of being created. What is it about holotropic or Groff breathwork that you find to be so powerful? I've done it myself, by the way, once, and it was incredibly powerful. But in your words. The, the practitioners are highly trained to deal with all the different types of um, manifestations that can emerge. It's pretty easy to put people into a non-ordinary state or holotropic state mm. but it takes a lot more skill to deal with all the things that can arise <laughs> right and to to in, ensure that everybody reaches a, a good conclusion and reaches a good place at the end the evocative music is a very important part of it there's a high ratio of support for each breather so people choose a partner 
and one will breathe, let's say, before lunch, and the other one goes after lunch, while the other one acts as a sitter. So it makes it a lot safer. There are more people there to provide protection, hold pillows if people have active sessions. People also have the opportunity to sit and learn how to hold space for others. The sessions are minimum three hours long. So I honestly feel that's the minimum length of time of the trajectory of opening the psyche, right. um, facing the material, and then reaching resolution that people can do it in. I think to try to do, squeeze it into a shorter period of time will make the sessions more shallow and superficial. That's the best case scenario. And then the not so good is people could go deep and then be stuck and not be able to get the help they need. Right. So there's that. And then he developed a type of bodywork called focused bodywork, which is done at the end of sessions if people want it. It's offered and then it involves putting pressure on specific areas where there's unresolved tension. And then people are encouraged to express whatever comes up, like through their voice, their body. So that can be very helpful. The use of physical contact, support of physical contact offered in a under peer supervision is a very important part of this work and also effective psychedelic work. And, and then and mandala drawing at the end of the sessions to help integrate. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so tell me, what's the intention of it? Now, I know that might seem really obvious, but I think it speaks to a much broader metaphysical ontological question of what it means to be human, why we're here, and sort of the ravages of living in an extractive, patriarchal, capitalistic society for as long as we have. You know, what why are we why are we doing this? What impelled Groff to do this? You know, you spoke about the psyche opening. And I would just like to mine into this a bit. I'd just like to tease out what you mean. Because I know what you mean. It's like, I think it's about going deeper into the psyche because of what's embedded there. But I would just like to explore your thoughts on that, like what the intention really is and how Groff sort of conceives of trauma. Well, it's essentially reintegrating into our modern industrial civilization techniques that have been available in all pre-industrial and non-Western civilizations. He says that all cultures except our own have had ways for people to enter non-ordinary or holotropic states, and that we're meant to do that. Some of our deepest problems and our our highest questions can't be solved or answered in, except in those kinds of states. Mm. And trauma, the, the modern understanding of trauma that he agrees with is that something is, is traumatic and has such a negative effect in our lives because we weren't able to fully experience it at the time that it happened. Mm. And, of, and this is especially the case with severe threats to life, like like near drowning experiences, diphtheria, whooping cough, or the birth trauma, which is a life-threatening mm -hmm. event or potentially life-threatening. So much happens and it's so overwhelming that that the psyche partly shuts down or, or totally shuts down. People can black out or 
or kind of go into swoon. Um, and so we're not fully experiencing it. So he says that we've been born physically and anatomically, but not emotionally. And so it's just a question of unpacking those leftovers, an undigested experience that's still stored in the cells and muscles, tissues of our bodies, unpacking that. And, um, and then we rediscover that we're a piece of the divine consciousness, the universal field of consciousness, which has voluntarily incarnated for the adventure in consciousness that is possible in incarnation. And that makes life a lot easier and smoother and less fearful. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. I love that. That's no, that's so powerful. Okay. So we've spoken about growth and a bit about holotropic rather than, I mean, maybe we can come back to the kind of perinatal matrices and, and his ideas in relation to astrology. As you know, I've just been studying with Rick Tarnas yeah. on archetypal astrology. So we looked a bit at this and it's, it's deeply interrelated. <laughs> what really excites me is archetypes and my encounter with archetypes and what I now understand to be archetypal beings. And I think this is why I was really excited about speaking with you and communicating this information to the listeners is this revelatory experience I had this year where I realized archetypes are actual beings though. Like they're, they're, they, they have their own ontology. It's not abstract ideas. I remember when I was first taught the word archetype, I was taught about Carl Jung, I think I was 16 or something. And it didn't, it just wasn't explained really properly at all. And I think we hear the word archetype bandied around quite a lot, but actually there is a depth and a complexity and a richness here, which if you can touch it, if you can understand it, is absolutely life-changing, right? When you really understand this archetypal dimension that underscores our reality and that frankly is our reality and which is emerging up through our reality and is living itself through us, right? Christopher right. M. Bash speaks about this in LSD in the mind of the universe. <clears throat> and so it's this that I would love to really, you know, tease out with you. Right. Well, in the perennial philosophy, the, the all the mystical philosophies of the world, they talk about how there was originally an undifferentiated field of consciousness so states of unity are the sort of generic state of consciousness and then it splits itself into dualities like light dark good evil pleasure pain and so on and then further refines and and continuing series of splittings and partitionings of parts of itself into separate units of consciousness so archetypes are a midway position between the unit of field of the cosmic creative principle and the world of forms. So we could say that the archetype mm. Venus Aphrodite represents the universal mind's impulse to love toward beauty, harmony, friendship. The archetype Mars is represents the universal mind's impulse toward action, assertion, anger, aggression and so on and that's the beautiful thing about archetypal astrology is we look at how these archetypal principles combine it's how like mm -hmm. venus and mars combine for example mm -hmm. and it's not only kind of a 
cosmological understanding of the structure of the universe, it changes over time. So we could see the the planetary archetypes, sun, moon, out, out through Pluto, there's 10 of those, as like hands on an archetypal clock that are all moving at different speeds. So the universe's impulse toward love, Venus, is moving mm. at a certain speed, okay. and the moon's moving fast, and Pluto's moving very slowly. And they're they're lighting up each other in the sky, called world oh. transits, and they're also lighting up our personal chart, and that that synchronistically corresponds to the emergence and activation of these archetypal principles in our experience. Mm-hmm. Some for the entire world at, at a given yeah. time. Some interesting things happening right now, yeah. and some are more personal to to us. Yeah, yeah, I love so. that. That's beautiful. I think what I really want to hammer home for people, though, is that these archetypes, it's not an idea. It's they are. It's a thing unto itself. Like it's a deeper, it's a, it's cosmic. It's cosmological. It's science. Right. It's yeah. science, though. It's there. It's it's on a different, they're on different orders of time. What is it? Archai, Arche from Plato, right? The, the, it's the original, the original forms. Okay. Right. Just because when, when we talk about astrology, People don't understand. I'm now like quite an astrological zealot explaining to people. It's not whether you believe in it or not. You know, if you don't believe the earth is round, that doesn't mean it's not round. Like astrology is science and that's all there is to it. And the archetypal essences is what constitutes the scientific component, right? How archetypal expressions, which is consciousness, are relating to these material celestial bodies. And then in turn, how this is playing out in our lives, us and physical bodies and the immateriality of our consciousness. I mean, the the sheer beauty of it. This is why it's so important, as, as you know, for people to understand, because to perceive life through this lens, I mean, it becomes so unimaginably meaningful and beautiful. And then also how you can start to relate to your life because you are understanding the archetypal patterns playing out in your own life. And as you said to me in the reading you gave me earlier this year, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on star signs, on horoscopes, and not really enough emphasis or exploration of the planetary archetypes when really this is like, this is the money. So I'd love to talk about the the planetary archetypes with you for you to explain we can go through each one if you want yeah uh, archetypal astrology uh, as rick has formulated it is very much getting back to greek basics yeah there, there's so much what i consider clutter accoutrements mm. uh, in, mm-hmm. in uh, traditional astrology and it, it's gotten gotten all cluttered up with all these minutiae and details and and people can talk on and on about all these different things that are happening and miss the the most important one that's staring them in the face, like a right. Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Right. So one of the most important correlations in this new astrology, this re- reborn astrology, archetypal astrology, is from Rick's work with uh, Stan Groff, their collaboration. Right. So you mentioned the perinatal matrices. So the the perinatal layer of the psyche is is an in-between, midway layer between the biographical layer, which is everything that happened to us from infancy to the present, 
positive and negative memories are stored in our psyche. The perinatal layer is about birth and death. These are the, the separate bookends of, of separate individual existence. You know, the, the divine field funnels in and incarnates as an individual being in the birth process. And at death, it funnels back out into the, the universal ocean and the drop of individuality merges back into the ocean. So this is a very important layer of the psyche. And then beyond that are the, all the transpersonal layers. So in the perinatal, Groff found that there's four major um, clusters of experience. The first one is connected with the union with the mother in utero and experiences of unity, of safety, security, higher meaning, openness to spirituality. And and Rick realized that that the planet or the planetary archetype Neptune corresponds okay. to that very precisely and in many detailed ways. So when Neptune is strongly activated in our psyches, we're likely to have more access to unitive spiritual mystical states. So this can be very helpful for psychotherapists in helping their clients choose good days for sessions because those are the kind of experiences we want above above all. That's the prize, the goal of psychotherapy is to reach unitive states, mystical states beyond death. And and then the 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 second perinatal matrix is connected with the early stage of labor when the cervix is still closed and there's no way out, no exit, but there the contractions are squeezing the fetus. Saturn. And and right. So when whenever Saturn is activated, we're more likely to get in touch with those no exit feelings, feelings yeah. of suffering that doesn't that don't seem to have any yeah. possible resolution. It's connected with the archetype of hell. And mm, I didn't in, know that. Makes yeah. Sense. And Stan found that this was a very powerful root of, of inhibited or endogenous type of depression. People's mm. feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, guilt, loss, and so on. There's a finite amount of it in the psyche. So fully surrendering to it in sessions consumes it out of the system. Well, very beneficial to go into these states in a supportive um, context. You don't want to do it so much alone, like like a high dose psychedelic. It's, it you really have should have support, uh, support of spiritual friends, yeah. therapists, and then Pluto is connected with the dynamic stage of labor when the cervix is now open and the fetus is being pressed through the narrow pelvic opening by powerful uterine contractions and the graph calls this basic perinatal matrix three or bpm three and there can be activation of enormous aggressive energies there can be sexual feelings which is connected with the choking that is happening the suffocation yeah. as as the uterine walls constrict that that constricts the or as it as it contracts the that constricts the the blood vessels wound through the uterine wa walls, which feed the vein that go goes yeah. through the umbilical cord. And that's experienced as choking. And that creates a type of uh, sexual arousal that very powerful that people can experience. And Stan calls this the sadomasochistic because the, the fact that our first sexual experience happens in the birth canal in the context of the life-threatening suffocation, 
activation of aggression, physical pain, a very logical clinical basis for sadomasochistic feelings and behaviors. Right. Right. And then, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, I just, I was just said fascinating. Continue, continue. Yeah. Yeah. People can experience demonic archetypes in kind of a Jungian way. And again, fully facing them and surrendering to them consumes them from the system and eliminates their effects in our everyday lives. Wait, just quickly, when you say people can experience, you're talking about people you work with, you know, in sessions through the breath work or, you know, whatever legally psychedelically assisted sessions who are recalling these, the, the trauma of birth. Yeah. Because we don't right. remember birth. So when you say people experience. Yeah, you're having an experience of it in this altered state or holotropic state in the session. And it's not recalling. more than just a memory, but it is something. It's a, recall, it's, a full recall. Okay, full, yeah. like reliving, whatever. Yeah. Full, wow. Yeah. And so, you okay. might be experiencing it fully for okay. the first time. But wow. Yeah. And um, there's a literal rebirth. When you talk about rebirth, you're not just talking a sort of loose metaphorical rebirth way you mean you literally people are going back into the birth canal and going through this archetypal cascading journey of of various various matrices going going through this trajectory right yeah there can be complex twisting movements and feelings of suffocation and the volcanic explosive discharges of aggression coming out of the psyche so there can be nausea and projectile vomiting so you know you do it with you do it on an empty stomach you know as wild um, ideally complex or shaking tremors twitches profuse sweating are very standard components of perinatal sessions yeah so so these these perinatal matrices have both an obstetric component, as you mm. were talking about, but they're always overlayered with archetypal, spiritual, karmic, mm. natural elements and symbolisms that are connected by having the same experiential quality. So yeah. in, a, in the situation of BPM2, the hell archetype can emerge because that that's a state that is similar to the situation of the fetus in that no exit uh, stage of delivery. And you could identify with people, different human groups that have suffered throughout history, like Jews in the concentration camps, Africans in the slave trade, um, you know, uh, Arabs during the Mongol invasions and, and so many others. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So people can have scatological experiences with the nausea and confrontation with biological materials in this yeah. dynamic stage of labor. And yeah. then finally, pyrocatharsis, purification by fire, kind of image of grand conflagrations. And, right. so on. and then suffering intensifies, and then there's a breakthrough. And then BPM4, connected with rebirth, as you mentioned, there can be images of the inside of giant halls and cathedrals that represent the opening of space suddenly mm. coming out of the birth canal and then into space and the, the the threat of death is now over for most babies at that point um 
there can be images of connection, reconnection with the divine feminine, great mother goddess, mm. or with God or the divine in a more abstract form. There can be feelings of forgiveness, uh, redemption, atonement, mm. salvation. And these are very powerful breakthroughs in psychotherapy. And, and that's connected with Uranus. Uranus transits are very much connected with... That's four. That's the final matrix yeah. is yeah. Uranus. And Pluto is coming, because I don't think we mentioned, it's very yeah. Platonic, this birth canal. We'll right. get into the archetypes momentarily, but yeah. So, okay. So we've got Neptune, Saturn, Pluto, Uranus, and Uranus is the breaking free, the birthing, right. coming out, the expansion, the, the revolution. Right. Revolution in consciousness. Uh, right. Yeah. I'm, right. Right. That's God. That's yeah, so cool. So, so, so we can look at the world transits on our personal transits and get yeah. a sense of the kind of the roadmap of, of what is being activated in our psyche at a given time. And that can help us to help to prepare us for psychedelic journeys and yeah. help us to understand them and integrate them afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're actually we're actually doing a course uh this is groff studies an eight-week course doing that on cis i saw no, you no. came into my inbox uh, and see for my in my phd inbox though at my university at cis oh okay i think maybe lily falconer yeah. oh, posted cool. that cool, cool, but cool. we'd love to have people come to this i'm happy, very happy to and honored to give discounts to students you can pay in installments we'll give you a, a major discount can you just um, read out because you've shown me because i can see you on a screen but can you just read out what it is so people can hear yeah it's groff studies stan groff's research and deep and effective psychedelic therapy and self-exploration wow it's an eight-week course eight sundays for an hour and three quarters followed by live q and a a lot of professionals are coming and it'll be basically the, the most important condensed information from Groff's massive life work in safe and effective journeying and sitting and supporting others. So a lot of good information there for people. Okay, It's, it's part of a, it, it's a required course for this graduate program that we're doing with uh, Ubiquity in Groff studies. Okay, okay. Okay. But but this course is also a standalone course okay. available to lay persons. Uh, so. And what will people get out of it? Would it help them if they do want to explore psychedelics safely in a way that's acceptable? I mean, what... It what, will help you to do it in, in a more effective way, more safely, to maximize the benefits and minimize the risks. Yeah, yeah. You know, most people that are listening to this podcast have probably had some experience with psychedelics most yeah. of, most of yeah. you but but this can give you new ways to to help you to go places you haven't been before oh. in her and and to face some of the deeper harder scarier mm. things and it can get to, scary with psychedelics it can get scary absolutely yeah. yeah, fear comes up. You know, fear is in the psyche, and it can it can bring it up. And we don't want to be re-traumatized, understandably. So, it's it's all about how to do that in a in a safe and and deep way. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'll put the link and all the information I'll put in the podcast notes. So, thank you for that. Yeah, thank um, you. 
Yeah, of course. I think it's amazing. I'd love to do it, but I'd probably have a nervous breakdown if I take on any more work right now with my PhD as well. But it's fast. At some point, I really do want to explore like this terrain more. So I'd love to talk about the archetypes. I'd love to talk about the planetary archetypes because obviously, you know, we're talking about Saturn, Uranus. A lot of people actually just don't know what they are. People talk about star signs all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, that's I'm a Gemini. I'm a this. I'm like, well, that's so generic, though. So generic, you know, show me your natal chart. I want to see how your sun's corresponding with whatever. I want to see, you know, where the conjunctions are, what all these, the mathematical relationships are, right? Because that's what it is. It's their mathematical relationships of degree points of planets aspecting each other. So all these archetypes are playing off each other, right? That's correct. We look at how they align in the sky with each other. If they're together, that's called a conjunction. Mm -hmm. If they're opposite in the sky, that's an opposition. And it's 180 so, degrees, right? 180 degrees. Yeah. And this is the core of in-depth astrology. Yes. But there's there's so many other layers of symbolism beyond that. But this really is the most, these are the most important meanings that you can look at in a, a birth chart or at a given time yeah okay so let's okay thank you let's talk now about the archetypal expressions so we can do it you know relatively quickly but i just really want people to have a flavor of what planet really means okay so sun how how would you how would you paint the sun yeah okay yeah just before i forgot what i was going to say before but i remember i we kind of see the the signs is like adjectives or adverbs, weak adjectives or adverbs, coloring the, the basic psychological expression of the planets. You mean the star signs? Each other. You mean like yeah, Leo, yeah. Cancer, right, whatever? Right, Okay. There's something to them, but they're, they're just so much weaker than people realize compared with the alignments between the planets themselves. I consider yeah. the signs about one-fifth to one-tenth the strength of the aspects themselves. So you can do a, a full astrology reading without even talking about the signs because there's so much in there, you know, just in the well, that's the what we did alignments. Yeah, that's what we yeah. did. And I found that my the the signs the, they fell in. It was almost like it just amplified it. Right? This is what Rick Tarnas also taught us and taught me is that archetypes are waveforms. These things are waveforms. Right. And. You know, if you know anything about physics, you know that coherent waveforms amplify a wave. So it's like, for instance, like my Pluto's in Scorpio, but I'm already looking at where my Pluto is in relation to X, Y, and Z and how it's interacting with everything else. And the fact it's in Scorpio, I'm like, okay, yeah, that adds an extra spicy flavor to it rather than it being the main sort of thing. That's like the least, that comes the least, but it's right. like a nice, it's like, like, a, like putting salt or like herbs on your food sort of that's how i feel about them yeah they they either confirm or modify the core meanings of the planets themselves right so, right but you get a lot more information as you mentioned when you look at what pluto is doing in your chart like yeah. what else is it interacting with so the sun is the center of the psyche system like it's the center of the solar system it's the i am archetype feelings of selfhood it's also connected with light, warmth, vitality, self-expression. The moon is equally important. It is connected with night, with, with belonging, with uh, community, connection. It is 
instead of I am, it's we are. Mm. Mm. Family, home life. The, the moon archetype has been undervalued in, in our driven, yanged out yeah. industrial civilization. We need to have an in, individual self-expression and purpose uh, and but we also need to fit in and connect with the people and and be part of a family and and you know a family of friends at, at least then the, the the larger family of human community and the and living beings on this earth mercury is connected with communication thought processes the messenger of the gods i should mention that that starting with mercury out to pluto they were all Many of them were given masculine Greco-Roman names, but mm-hmm. this this was strictly reflects a bias of of the Greco-Roman culture toward right. the, the Yang. Um, they all have a, a masculine and a feminine side, and so, and a side that transcends gender. So you cannot infer the meaning of these by looking at the the name given to them by the Greeks as just a partial meaning. And in some cases, they were totally misnamed. So okay. Pluto, for example, is, is a very feminine archetype in so many ways. I mean, mm. the mother's body can drive this, yes. this fetus out of her body, even if she's unconscious. It, it, it takes over these contractions. That's the working of Pluto, and that is a very feminine Okay. Side of Pluto. So that's one example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so Venus is connected, as I said, with love, beauty, harmony. Can you say a bit more about Mercury. Yeah. You said it was about but communication, but how the, how the... we how we communicate and speak and take in information, and then if you look at other planetary archetypes interacting with Mercury, it, it can show us a lot about the style of our communication, even things we are thinking about at a given time. Right. It's also about technology, isn't it? Um, yeah, partly. Uh, Uranus is also connected with technology. But that's a higher octave, right? It's like a... Yeah, yeah, in some certain ways. Okay. Um, in many aspects of life, we can find many archetypes involved mm. in it, different ways, sure. kind of interpenetrated, uh, intricately interacting. Okay, okay. Okay, so Venus, we'll continue. Yeah, what we're attracted to, our feelings of harmony. The the lower form of Venus would be, you know, issues around our, let's say, our own attractiveness, and and that can be a, a positive thing in in our lives. And sometimes it's a scary thing because we're afraid of losing it or we're afraid of aging and so on. The higher form of Venus is is having a a feeling that we're part of a harmonious whole in the cosmos Mm. and that any beauty that we have is shared with everything Mm -hmm. and that we're now also open to the beauty of the cosmos coming through us Mm -hmm. so it's it's not like this thing is beautiful and that thing is not beautiful everything is equally part of the divine harmony right the the gods and goddesses make ugliness just as much as they make beauty because it's a it's an interesting part of the divine movie. Mm-hmm. Then Mars is connected, as I said, with action, assertion, anger, aggression. It's a very yang kind of militant energy. Um, Jupiter is connected with expansion, 
uh, elevation, upliftment, uh, growth. So there's a negative side to it. It's just becoming bigger. Like you look at Donald Trump, and I don't imagine this will offend too many of your listeners, but might be <laughs> a few out there. Um, he has sun trying Jupiter, and you can see him as the archetype of Mr. Big. Everything is is huge and big and the biggest rallies and the biggest hands and not really, but I've got sun conjunct big Jupiter. fluffy hair. I've got sun conjunct Jupiter though. So yeah, well, uh, that's great. So, so that's the, the, that's the lower form of Jupiter. All the archetypes have a range of yeah positive. It's important to say as well, isn't it? Yeah. Salient manifestation. The higher forms of Jupiter represent, recognizing that we're already part of a larger whole we're part of a group we're part of a, a society we're part of a civilization we're part of a species we're part of a community of beings right. and a cosmos and so on and uh, it's like the the leaf on a tree can get bigger that's jupiter yeah. but it can also realize that it's actually the tree it's actually part of the tree it's it is the tree you know in a sense right. so, so, so that is, that's that's a higher form of Jupiter. Saturn represents constriction, contraction, boundaries, separation, aging, but it also represents maturing, hard work, yeah. discipline, yeah. focus. Yeah. So there's a positive and a negative yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a kind of the way I see Saturn is it's it creates temp temperance. Do you know what I mean? It, it creates a mitigating factor, which creates a dialectic, which often allows the other archetype to, depends again on the aspect. So I'm just using my chart because I know it the most because it's mine. I have Jupiter uh, opposing Saturn in a direct opposition. Jupiter obviously being about expansion, extravagance, the great benefic, um, extroversion, all of this stuff. And then Saturn about the opposite, <laughs> the opposite contraction you know limitation entropy discipline so this would be one of my biggest tasks in life ren which and and as as you know as you progress through life you can start mastering these archetypal relationships in a way that they harmonize so i felt that that opposition really strongly in a very divisive way i found it really hard to create discipline and be consistent and do this i'd be up super up and down and very over extravagant and over abundant and then get really depressed it's like now i feel it's really coming into a much more harmonious relationship and i'm grateful for saturn otherwise i would probably i'm very confident person very extrovert i'd probably be completely full-blown narcissist if it weren't for that saturn because it's i've got my sun conjunct jupiter then right by venus all in leo i'd probably be a complete comp i would just yeah i'm glad I'm glad for the Saturn. Yeah, well, that's that's a very mature, resolved form. All all these combinations have forms that in which they are completely resolved and harmonizing of each other. Uh, they all have a a way that they can work out. They all do, even really they, difficult ones. Oh yeah, they all do. Yeah, but but with with some of the more difficult Saturn ones, we may have to go into a fairly tightly define mode of existence at certain times like with introspection with hard work 
you know, Rob Hand talks about it. Yeah, that Jupiter Saturn is wonderful. It 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 wants quality over quantity, wants yeah. the ring of truth. It's it's very good for philosophical philosophical sifting of, <laughs> of merit. You know, this has more merit than than that. You know, or this mm. this something, but this is a, a more profound idea, and so on. So, yeah, Saturn helps us to. Uh, recognize our mortality and and focus on our priorities right. and and not just sort of live a, a puffed up life that has no substance you know like mr big right beautiful okay so who comes after saturn uranus or neptune god uranus yeah 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 yeah, okay, yeah. thank god yeah <laughs> it's been <a> long day. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uranus is connected with freedom, breakthroughs, rebirth, opening, awakening, yeah. sudden yeah, yeah. releases of, of pressure and tension. Promethean. And yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely misnamed. It has very little, it, it has not really nothing to do with Uranus in the Greek. Right, who's the guy who's the sky the heaven, the, the god of sky. Right. He he was a static sky god. Right. who was something to rebel against someone to rebel mm -hmm. against whereas uranus is actually rick tarnas realized is connected with rebellion with change with breakthroughs so it was misnamed so yeah. he 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 suggests prometheus is a closer yes. fit per persephone is equally good because she mm. was the goddess of rebirth in the most popular stream of greco-roman religion yeah demeter and persephone mother yeah. and daughter yeah. interesting in the christian era it was father and son and now we we obviously need mother we need mother father daughter son yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, so yeah. the the dying and and reborn goddess is, is very much uranus as well so i suggest you know Prometheus, Persephone. Like that a lot. Be, that's how we should be looking at, at Uranus. Mm. Well, I think it's helpful but, for people, even just you saying that, to start understanding these planets in these sorts of terms, i.e. more archetypally, more mythically, more mythologically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can understand them as as gods and goddesses. Like, yes, exactly, like, exactly. Like the ancient Greeks, like in the odyssey and the iliad and and so on we can also understand them as platonic metaphysical principles yeah yeah and we and and then we can further understand them as jungian psychological principles so th yeah. these are the three major ways that they've been understood there are so many other yeah. permutations and yeah. variations of the rick this is from rick tarnasa yes me, the awakener Yes, yes. I mean, I said, I mean, I've just studied with him. So a lot of everything I'm saying about architect pretty much is from him or yeah. you in the reading we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bit of an yeah. echo chamber. One thing I do want to say before you just finish the, the planetary archetypes, just for the listeners, because it's something I thought about a lot, is the interrelationship between these material bodies and, the, you know, these this idea of them as goddesses is that this universe this matrix we're in which is a space-time matrix and we're in this is the physical dimension i see this as an intrinsically aesthetic universe right it's like it's an artwork being 
whatever, a symphony being played or a painting being painted or a poem being a poem being written. And it's all divinely orchestrated. And these planets represent, they're a bit like musical notes being played. And that's why when you look, you know, for instance, the rose of Venus, which is obviously the, the orbit of, of Earth and Venus going, going round the mandala that it makes, these sacred geometries of the planets, it is this mathematical, musical event going on, inextricably connected with archetypes and these godlike beings. And we are living out their drama and are the melody of our personal, of our personal play, our personal song is played when the planets come around and chime, bing, they play certain things that are in our latent blueprint, our latent astrological blueprint. And so that applies for us as individuals and as a planet, as a collective, for instance, like Pluto right now or the, the outer planets, because of their orbit, it's much more generational. I just wanted to say that because I know this is a question I asked as I was deepening my relationship with astrology is how does this relate to the material realm though? Why are there these planets, like actual bodies we can see with a telescope that have these, how, why? You know, it really baffled me. And I don't necessarily know why each planet is what it is. There'll be a deeper reason that I don't, you and I don't need to know. I just know that it is there and we are interrelating with them on a very deep level. I just had to say all of that. Yeah, oh, beautifully said. Yeah, you're, you can hear the the Sun, Venus, Jupiter <laughs> expression and great uh, poetic mind in as well. Yeah. Well, we we see the the physical planets as symbols or mirrors of these archetypal processes. Right. They're not causing, you know, the events mm. and experiences mm. that we have. So it we've embraced Jung's idea of synchronicity, meaningful coincidence that, you know, Venus and Jupiter line up and we have a sense of grace and, and sociability and, and attraction to refined grand sumptuous art forms and so on. Those planets aren't causing that, but they, they just mirror what archetypes are engaged in our psyche it really does imply that there's some kind of a cosmic creative principle which has set in motion the planets in a way with motives like you describe of beauty and symmetry and harmony and and grace and drama and drama absolutely (laughs) um and it's the as rick says um astrology is archetypally predictive not concretely predictive so it can't tell us every little detail about our lives whatsoever it gives us a lot more information about our emotions and the types of things we're thinking about and you know experiencing than you know exactly you know every little minutiae of our everyday life so it's it's archetypally predictive right and uh, i think that the the gods and goddesses the cosmic creative principle did it to kind of create a a hello nod or wink to humanity that there's consciousness out here there's a higher pattern there's higher purpose we are watching we are we are enjoying this with you we could say that the divine is inside of us 
having our life with us or even as us and and that astrology is one of the ways that that it, we can see the the kind of purpose the patterns the directions and it, it's you know rick's cosmos and psyche i consider to be the kind of turning point in the the new paradigm i think that 2006 was will be looked at back as the the moment of the paradigm shift it's just most people don't realize really it yet. interesting that resonates yeah i think croft's book the cosmic game is also a contender oh i need uh, to read that yeah 1998 that. yeah that's that's really? a real piece of work i'm i'm one of the eights eight presentations in this Groff studies course we're doing this fall is cosmic game and i put the i'm putting oh, together sick. big luxurious so uh, cool. slideshow to talk about that oh my god yeah i can't wait to read that can we just let's just finish neptune and pluto sure yeah so neptune yeah. is connected with mystical feelings feelings of unity oneness higher meaning uh it's peaceful serene calm and we we crave neptunian states we want to get back to a state of security and and meaning and peace and um without that people can reach for all kinds of substitutes compensations uh, uh, wilbur called it the atman project mm. all the things we can do instead of getting the mystical feelings of unity and connection that we really crave you know like possessions accomplishments status prestige beauty you know looks and so on and so neptune is is you know in a sense the the mother of all the archetypes it's the it's the metacosmic mm. pregnant void that contains all things in a potential way and mm. then all forms emerge out of that and then go back into that eventually. And Neptune is the, the unit of field underlying all things. Then Pluto is the is the active form of the divine that is constantly creating structures and then destroying them again. So death rebirth is the pattern of Pluto. It's very forceful. It's volcanic in its effects. It oh, represents yeah. inexorable, slow processes and we can see Pluto's actions in the the monomyth that Campbell talks about, the descent into the underworld, the tests and ordeals, and then mm. the return back to back to the day world with something to contribute to society. Mm. That that is essentially a mythological way of seeing the perinatal sequence. Is that we we go from a state of normalcy and then we lose it and there's suffering and then confrontation with shadow and and then breakthrough and rebirth and and we can contribute something to yeah. the world yeah it's very orgiastic as well isn't it pluto it's very yes orgiastic. it definitely has a very sexual kundalini component. yeah yeah it's connected with nature natural forces mm, uh, yeah with uh, dionysus the type yeah. of ecstasy associated with pluto yeah. groff yeah. called dionysian or volcanic ecstasy yeah, yeah. Kali as well, the kind of devouring, a sense of a devouring or a Boris type energy. Exactly. Kali would be another great name for Pluto. Pluto. Probably much uh, better than than Pluto. Kali. Pluto was is one of the better names 
of planets, but yeah. but Kali Shiva or Shiva Kali would be even better. Right. I like the sound of Pluto, though. I kind of like the sound of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, Neptune was definitely misnamed as well. the The quality of the Neptune archetype has no resemblance right. to Poseidon, who was a vengeful. But Neptune vengeful is water. water. When I see when I hear the word Neptune, I just you know I just see blue like a blue green expanse. Like that's that's how I relate to it. And for me, it's just that oceanic, that melted, really watery, just really watery feeling. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and uh, <laughs> there there is that formal connection with the god uh, Poseidon, Neptune, because he lived in the water, but he was all about storms and vengeance and the right. whole Odyssey. Not the vibe. Yeah, no, no, not the, the problem vibe. of getting on, like not honoring him enough or slighting him, and then he gives you shipwrecks and storms and right, 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 cataclysm. So, yeah. You know, it would be like a storming ocean, and and Neptune is very serene and peaceful. Right, right. To the yeah. archetype. Yeah, and so so that's something for people to remember. If major planets can be misnamed, then so can asteroids. So keep that in mind. There's that's one of the sub branches of astrology. There are thousands of asteroids people use, and people just pop names on these things. Boom, 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 and then people take it as gospel. They could be misnamed. They could be completely misnamed. The ancients gave names to the planets based on millennia of observation. Right. Remember, they didn't name Uranus and Neptune. That was right. modern astronomers. So, was it modern? How, how, when you say modern, how modern? Like what kind of date? Well, I think Uranus was discovered in 1789. Right. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, or. 1791 i think it was 89 and it was it was given a name i think by the astronomer herschel so okay so very much like you know materialist science enlightenment sort of vibe not so not so holistic well he he named it uranus because uranus was the father of saturn Okay. In mythology, just like Saturn was the father of Jupiter, so he was just well, doing. But that's what linear. I mean, though. That's a very linear way of yes. approaching yeah, it. Exactly. It's not looking at the yeah. the quintessence of the you know the archetypal expression. Yeah, yeah. It, it okay. takes a while to to sort of observe these things in action. So it's important for astrologers to approach astrology like scientists. You don't have to give up your your rational critical discriminating functions oh, in fact not. you'd be a better astrologer but yeah. it's a kind of a grab bag the field of traditional astrology you can just pull up anything you want to make anything right fit. So one of my favorite ways of understanding the archetypes was a note that galileo wrote to the the de medici family about jupiter i wish i had it i don't have it on me but it's the way he describes jupiter it's so poetic it's so beautiful but the, the way it, it's it's light and its brightness shines upon you, the fortune it bestows upon you, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. It's because yeah. it's really poetic. This is what I also want people to understand is there is this is cosmic poetry. It's so beautiful. And I so I wrote my um essay for archetypal astrology on Virginia Woolf. And what I loved about it was when you start looking at the archetypal connections, how you blend them. It's like, right, what does this complex look like? What does okay, Neptune and Pluto feel like? What does 
what does a Pluto Sun Venus triadic complex feel like? Blending the archetypes is it's a it's a poetic enterprise. It's aesthetic, and this is not molecular biology. This is not hard science. There's no, you know what I mean. You're not getting your scalpel out and making an incision. It's a feeling, interpretive process. It's symbolic. That's why it really excites me. And the, mm -hmm. the more attuned you become, and the more you learn about the archetypes, the better you become. But you've just gone. <laughs> just grabbing my book. I, uh, I You mentioned combinations of three. This is one of the sections of my book at the end, the triads. I, I go oh, through fantastic. all 145 or 130, rather, of these triads. Oh, you do each one, do you? Like Sun, Venus, wow. Pluto, Sun. Wow. Well, Mars, that would have been Pluto. useful. Yeah, that would have so, been useful for me about four months ago. Great. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. There's a there's a certain small amount of astronomy you have to learn and geometry, yeah. but most people can learn that quite rapidly. Yeah. There's not too much to it. And then it's just a question of learning all the different expressions of them. And yeah. that is a lifetime of adventure. Yeah. And for people out there that have that poetic mind like you do, this is this is just such a beautiful field. You, you can have a transit today and and think about it, and then go out and just look at all the ways you'll you're you'll selectively perceive it in the world. You'll attract it towards you, and you'll actively create it. So those are the three major ways that the archetypes will show up, mm -hmm. and and it, it is just absolutely fascinating. There's there's no shortage of things. You know, you, you could write books on any different part of this field, like one famous person's chart and their transits. You could write a book on that or you yeah. could compare and contrast or, or a period of time or a artistic school. You can look at dreams and the transit that you yeah. have of the dreams. That's Ooh, super I wanted to talk to you about that because you do dream work, don't you? Yeah, I'm really interested in that. There's quite a bit of that in this this one, Archetypal Universe. So that's a book you've written, The Archetypal Universe. I'll put a link to that in the notes as well. Yeah, that's and that's and, and then finally you can use it. Well, you can use it to look at relationships, relationship yeah. issues, the chemistry you have with someone else, and the quality of the relationship as a whole. You can look at current events. Um, like in my, I'm doing a 22 week course starting September 30th in archetypal and holotropic astrology. And really it'll be a rich journey through the archetypal realm. I want to honor Sinead O'Connor in one of the first classes because mm. she had a huge effect on me in the early nineties. I wow. mean, the feeling that the, her music created, it was something so new and powerful and profound and fierce and that period of the early 90s with the Uranus-Neptune conjunction was when I was very born. special. That's when I was wow. born. I have it in my chart, Uranus-Neptune conjunction, yeah, because I'm born yeah. in 1990. Yeah, and we honored Eddie Van Halen a couple of years ago when he died, you know, one of the greatest guitar players of all time. And it's, it's really fun to look at, at that and things like that. And then you can look at psychedelic journeys. We'll we'll be in my class. We we look at a number of people's psychedelic journeys. They volunteer to share them, and then we we look at their transits and talk about the different things they went through as expressions of their transits. So it, it is poetry. You're absolutely right. Epic poetry. Epic. Epic. And 
uh, epic, or like of the most epic proportions. <laughs> so what's what's going on now? Like just to kind of finish, you know, I'd love to get a sense of big things happening now. Obviously, it's very Platonic energies. Pluto's going into Aquarius next year. I know we're not really talking about the signs, but there's Pluto's moving. It's moving. <laughs> Pluto's transiting. Right. Well, Pluto's in a 120 degree trine with Uranus for 10 years, and we're, we're in one year of it. Okay. Interesting. The, I first didn't know that. Year, the first month it came into orb was last August, and that's when Biden passed this um, the big bill that has the climate change action in it. Massive spending on trying to, this urgent job we have to do of of transforming our society to renewable energy and that's this was the breakthrough moment was last august so we'll have that for for nine more years and it like the 60s in some ways and yeah. like the teens that we've come out of there'll be a lot of powerful evolutionary and revolutionary kinds of impulses but the nature of the trine is it's smoother it's sustained but less inflection toward the negative shadow side and yeah. one of the major shadow sides of uranus pluto is will to power as as rick tarnas talks about in changing of the gods this great documentary came out last year then and, and trumpism for me is a manifestation of that is this eruption of shadow energies and kind of selfishness and reactionism and you know violence there's there there can be shadow sides to po positive movements to positive movements too you know like marching is is a good thing or protesting in a society peacefully but if it yeah. goes violent then that becomes a negative force and yeah. it usually has the equal and opposite reaction it right. creates an opposite reaction from so so that there's the Uranus trine Pluto will be fantastic for female empowerment for feeling it rights feeling it psychedelic breakthroughs and openings for the advancement and unveiling and rolling out of the new paradigm that's being yes. it, it's being born in each of our psyches and it's it, it we have to do it because we have mental health problems that can't be solved without psychedelic medicines i believe and Agreed. and we can't keep burning fossil fuels like no we're we're burning up no no it's done it's so done that it's yeah. so done i'm actually here for free energy i i know that free energy is possible i know people working i know people working on it it's possible so this is war like really i'm feeling very very plutonic energies very uranian energies strong sense of revolution i personally don't think this is going to be peaceful i feel like liberty leading the people storming the bastille like this energy of burning shit to the ground. Like I'm, that's how I'm, that's what I feel like this coming in, like a real sense of triumphant revolution. Triumphant. Well, I recommend working through some of that in sessions. Yeah. But, and then, and then see when we do sessions like that, we can get more of a sense of what the real problems are and how best we can contribute. Because if we go out with that, at that attitude, I mean, those are legitimate feelings, but it's 
where is the real enemy and and how do you solve the real problems is the question you know well you you, you know, solve we, them we from a higher state up, of consciousness you, you could evoke some other person who's kind of maybe kind of right wing but not an right. activist to suddenly want to become an activist against you you know so or, or it's archetypal ren the thing so, is ren it's archetypal this is a thing I'm not actually going to go and storm a building with a picture, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an archetypal. So if you look at liberty leading the people, that was exactly Pluto has come back around. We're in the same positioning. Are we? I mean, correct me as we were during the French Revolution. It is that kind of revolution. Now we're in a higher octave of the spiral. What I'm saying is, I feel that energy, that fire, that sense of revolutionary. Let's you know burn the shit to the ground. I'm not going to actually burn anything to the ground. These systems that we live under are going to burn themselves to the ground because they're so selfish and they are so narcissistic and they are so extractive, they cannot continue. They're going to burn, they're going to burn themselves to the ground. And I guess that's what I'm saying is I'm feeling that energy. I'm just feeling it. Yeah, yeah, right. That makes sense. Well, absolutely. They've been burning themselves to the ground since World War One. Right. We've yes, been in have. a kind of a free yes, fall. They have. Yes, you're right. Uh, so it's right. like a century of deconstruction and mm. now in postmodernism and i do believe that the new paradigm is being born now which will have, yeah which which will be much more life supporting it'll be more conducive to human happiness quality uh you know sustainability peace and you know deep self-exploration is an important part of that you know uh, mm. rediscovering the subjective side of the psyche but yeah it's good you're feeling that i'm sure you could have some great sessions with those energies sure you know? well i just you know i'd be delighted to explore this this realm further because it's the great mystery the great mystery of our existence and yeah. and the psyche and what it is yeah. that we're actually doing here you know yeah this year jupiter is conjunct uranus yes we're, we're about a month into a 12 yes. month transit yes. and that rick found was one of the most distinct and pronounced world transit cycles it happens mm -hmm. about every mm -hmm. 14 years yeah. and it corresponds to quantum leaps yeah. Uh, yeah moments when the promethean impulse when the counterculture or new ideas or the underdog rise and, and are like return of the repressed yeah uh, it's like some some good idea that's waiting in the wings is suddenly kind of crowned king or queen right. is right. celebrated and honored like sanjay gupta on cnn the most important medical contributor on on cnn yesterday was talking about the legal cannabis in israel he did a whole show on it wow. and, and it's like this really positive thing in in western society that is emerging and something that people were put away for is now suddenly seen as as a great boon, you know, yeah. a gift. So, so that can happen under Jupiter Uranus. So this should be quite an exciting year. I'm feeling it. No, I'm I'm really feeling it. It's very exciting. I'm also noticing synchronicities occurring at an exponentially accelerated rate. I am meeting people who are aligned. I mean, there's there's synergy, syntropy really a lot of just high highly highly new paradigm energies and i don't know archetypally what that would correspond to 
I guess it is Uranus, but it does feel it's this Pluto and Aquarius energy. That's how I'm associating it. Yeah. It's new art. And, and I would, you know, I don't, I don't discount that symbolism whatsoever. It's certainly also from the Uranus trying Pluto and the, right, the right, 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 right. Cool. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll do better. The French Revolution that was like just turned into a bloodbath, you know. Well, it was a lower octave, though, wasn't it? In the meantime, look at all the technology. Look at how we've evolved in so many levels. Yeah. It's a spiraling thing, and it's not linear. And that's how I see it. It, it was also the birth of romanticism. You right. know, it, it was this incredible, the imagination, this incredible creative flourishing. But yeah. because the systems were so dense, it was so dense then, mm -hmm. it wasn't possible to have what we're having now, which is like a hyper hyper level of coherence yeah totally including extraterrestrial intelligence i talk about extraterrestrials a lot i shared about this in the symposium as well i know they're part of this i know they're part of this i literally every academic i meet i talk about the ets the, the dimensions are aligning different dimensions of this universe are aligning this is big shit going down yeah, it's a birth. Look, Stan uses that metaphor as this is a birth labor, but it's not certain how it's going to turn out. You know, there's things that are part of the right. solution and things that are part of the problem. Right. It's a race against time. Right. Like green really energy is. is part of the solution. Burning right. coal is part of the problem, you know, and right. it's, it's a race against, Oof. you know. So, and, and I, you've probably heard Rick's, comment about patriarchy is the 5,000 year birth canal of the great mother goddess sick no i have not yeah, yes, yeah. this is this is a meta trajectory you know he's yes. talking about the, the the big patriarchal kingdom sort of began around 3000 bc in, in sumer and egypt and yeah. you know china um and uh that this may may have been a kind of a difficult but maybe necessary stage that we've had to go through this kind of birth contraction as human populations increased and i, feel it. I think and so. now we're coming out and we can we can rediscover the rest of humanity as this incredible you know long long lost cousins that have had this amazing variety of experience as we all left africa and then fanned out in every direction and now kind of rediscovering each other through the media you know and, and internet and uh, yeah the importance of bringing back the f feminine values you know so i love that so central to it thank you so much i think that's a beautiful place to close we covered a lot that was yeah, fascinating great. no Fun. really top notch yeah yeah well i like your good leo energy i'm aries so are you a good fire Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Synergy I'm excited. There. I'm I'm really I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so I, I just want to do one final plug for this uh Groff sure. Legacy trainings. Uh people that are looking for a good psychedelic training. I think that these Groff Legacy trainings, which are held in being held in many countries around the world now, are what is the best one out there, in my Great. opinion. And I Great really to hear that. Yeah, so no, it's great to hear that because, you know, with the emergence of psychedelics, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people taking the stage and, and, and talking about this without really the necessary experience. 
So I do think it's really important that you say this. And I do think it's it's vital to emphasize, you know, in integrity and experience and expertise when it comes to handling psychedelics. And as you said at the beginning of this podcast, Groff has probably the most experience of any human on the planet it, within within the sort of Western, you know, kind of psychological like paradigm, any psycho psychotherapeutic paradigm anyway. Yeah. So thank you for saying that. And I will absolutely put all the info in the show notes and, you know, put that out on all my social media because I think it's fantastic. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm honored. Thanks for the opportunity and appreciate your your enthusiasm and intelligence. Thank you so much, Ren. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you're interested in finding out more information, please head to my website, www.arabellatais.com. There you can also find all of my offerings, including my School of Consciousness, The Temple of Truth, which if you're interested in any of the content that I share on this podcast, will definitely be something for you. Find all my contact information there. Anything else, hit me up. Either a member of my team or myself will get back to you. And uh, see you next time on the Sacred Wisdom Podcast. Podcast.